This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW releases next steps in its strike against the Detroit Three and sets a new deadline. Former President Donald Trump inserts himself into the dispute between striking workers and America's traditional automakers. And Ford faces the threat of dual strikes in the U.S. and Canada, the latest on negotiations with Unifor. Plus, a conversation with Hyundai COO Jose Munoz. I think we're going to see more recycling of batteries. Definitely, we're going to see uh, more effective ways to get access to the raw materials and processing raw materials. And in the end, hopefully, uh, there won't be issues as we've seen uh, at the beginning. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW plans to expand its strike against the Detroit Three on Friday if negotiations this week stall. That's what UAW President Sean Fain said in a video posted by the union Monday evening. Music played as he spoke. If we don't make serious progress by noon on Friday, September 22nd, more locals will be called on to stand up and join the strike. That will mark more than a week since our first members walked out. And that will mark more than a week of the big three failing to make progress in negotiations toward reaching a deal that does right by our members. Fain didn't say how many additional plants would join the work stoppage. His comments suggest that DUAW could decide not to add plants, even without deals in place by Friday, so long as the union is satisfied that the talks are productive. The strike is now in its fifth day. Negotiations between the sides continue. About 13,000 workers at three plants, one each from General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis, are on strike. Meanwhile, auto supplier layoffs are expected if the strike continues. A contract manufacturing supplier in Michigan is planning to lay off nearly 300 employees. It's the first supplier to detail its layoff plans to the state. According to a notice filed with the state, CIE Nucor, a subsidiary of Spain-based CIE Automotive, said it tentatively anticipates a one-month layoff starting October 2nd. It was filed Thursday, hours before the UAW called a strike. The impacted jobs include mostly machine operators at four company plants. The plants could close indefinitely depending on how long the strike lasts. In other auto worker related news, former President Donald Trump plans to skip the second Republican presidential debate and give a speech in Detroit. A Trump aide said the primetime speech next Wednesday is expected to be delivered to auto workers and other blue-collar union members. The UAW released a statement critical of Trump. It said, quote, every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. 
It went on to say, quote, We can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires that don't have any understanding what it is like to live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to get by and expecting them to solve the problems of the working class. Recent polls show Trump leads his nearest rival for the GOP presidential nomination by nearly 50 percentage points. The speech comes as Trump has been harshly critical of President Joe Biden's EV policies. As time ran out for Unifor and Ford to reach a tentative agreement, the union representing Canadian workers extended its strike deadline by 24 hours. The contract expired at 11.59 p.m. Monday, and Unifor was in position to strike at 12 a.m. today. However, the union said it received a substantive offer from Ford minutes before the deadline and extended negotiations for a 24-hour period. Before that offer, Union President Lana Payne told members that the likelihood of a strike was a strong possibility. She said if there is a strike, it will be a total strike and all of Unifor's 5,600 members at Ford in Canada will be on picket lines. Ford said in a statement it had agreed to continue negotiations beyond the contract deadline in hopes of reaching a tentative agreement. Ford builds engines for its F-Series pickup trucks and several other vehicles in Windsor, while its Oakville assembly plant builds the Ford Edge and Lincoln Nautilus. And finally, some non-union news on this busy day. Nikola Corporation has hired a new chief operating officer to lead the company's engineering, product, and manufacturing teams. Mary Chan will start her new role October 9. She's a former president of the Global Connected Consumer Group at General Motors and a former senior vice president at Dell. Chan comes to Nikola at a key time. The company is being led by a new CEO, Steve Gursky, and is working through a recall impacting all 209 of its battery electric vehicles on the road. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, with Ford facing a strike with the UAW and possibly facing a strike with Unifor, does this make them more desperate to strike a deal ASAP with the UAW? And also, what could be the consequences of a strike from both unions? Yeah, to uh, take the second part first, right? A, a strike in Canada, because it would be broader, I mean, it could really have a lot more impact very quickly and really trickle down to other plants that need the parts, the powertrain parts that are made in Canada. Uh, so if there's any you know extra urgency, it's really on settling that deal. Plus, it just seems like they've made maybe more progress there and it might be be closer to reaching fruition. I wouldn't expect that Ford is getting particularly you know desperate or panicky. They've known this was coming, but it definitely is a lot of pressure and you know really difficult trying to pull off both talks at the same time. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll hear from Hyundai COO Jose Munoz. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. 
I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit rayray.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Speaking last week at the Automotive News Congress, Hyundai COO Jose Munoz said the automaker's operations and those of its 835 independent dealers contributed more than $20 billion and 190,000 jobs to the U.S. economy in 2021. And Munoz says more is on the way, thanks to last year's commitment to invest more than $12.5 billion in the U.S. by 2025. The avalanche of investment comes as Hyundai brand gallops up the retail standings. Munoz spoke with automotive news publisher Casey Crane. Here's a piece of their conversation. You know, again, we spent a lot of time today talking about EV markets, um, and we can get into some of the details there. But, you know, coming off the Munich show, sitting here in Detroit, um, there is a ton of new models coming to market. Uh, you guys are, are, you know, making improvements in your sales numbers. How are you attacking what seems to be a little bit of a slowdown in the consumer want for electric vehicles? Well, Indeed, I think the market is a little bit slower than uh, in other uh, countries, but it's growing. So in August alone, we sold uh, almost 20% of our sales were electrified between um, hybrid, plug-in hybrids, battery electric, and and hydrogen. And it was an increase of uh, nearly 50% year over year. But battery electrics uh, represent now 10%, so half of all electrified and electric and grew more than 100% year over year. So definitely there is a gap with other markets, but there is a market that is uh, uh, growing. And I think the moment we bring them better product, more range, and better infrastructure, the customers are gonna jump in. You mentioned the tax credit. Does a $12.5 billion investment help at all with the tax credit? Let me tell you, unfortunately not. Uh, as I mentioned that, it, we think it was unfair because we had already signed 
the Economic Development Agreement with the state of Georgia uh, by the time IRA was published. So we had made a significant commitment at the time, about 10 billion uh, to the United States to do what the government wanted us to do. So, and then all of a sudden we found out that we, we would have a competitive disadvantage, which is significant uh, by $7,500 per unit. So um, we thought a, a lot and then we decided to double down. We increase our investments and then we maintain so far uh, a very solid position in the market, which I think is only gonna, only gonna get better once we start producing in uh, Savannah. And we've all heard Tavares talk about, you know, price points for EVs. He's convinced that between twenty and twenty-five thousand. You're smiling already. Twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars is a, is the right place. How much of a handicap is not getting the tax credit? And where do you guys think you're going to fit in, and, or where should you be? Well, it's a huge hand, handicap for those who who know about the cost of the product. Seventy-five hundred dollars per unit is, uh, you know, the difference between making a lot of money. I'm making a lot of losses, right? So um, for us, it's a big handicap. The only thing that is um, uh, something that we are utilizing is, is the um, uh, lease, so-called loophole. So we have significantly increased our lease because the, the units that are sold through this channel qualify. So we are uh, having the same uh, advantage of our competitors. We move from roughly uh, 10% less penetration in that segment to uh, at times more than 40%. But still 60% of the market uh, that are customers who want the APR or they want the, the cash offer, we cannot compete against them. So uh, that's a big handicap, really big handicap. Just do the math. You do 7,500 times all the units that we sell and what we're planning to sell and you are in the billions of dollars of impact. Jim Farley said on his earnings call he wants to quadruple hybrid sales in the U.S. over the next several years. What's your view on this for you, not for him? Well, uh, I, I wish him the best, right? So we are really focused on uh, electrification. Uh, we see the future on electrification. We also have hybrid vehicles, and we've uh, felt that a lot of consumers that are reluctant to jump into a battery electric vehicle, if they get into a hybrid, they feel a little bit more confident and they basically are able to jump into a battery electric vehicle in a better way. But fundamentally, a hybrid is a, is a car with two engines. Well, when you look at it from an efficiency point of view or a cost point of view, it's very inefficient. And the consumer wants to get the same price as a car with just one engine. So longer term, uh, we don't think this is the best solution. We see it as a transition. So that's why we're putting our, our eggs on a battery EV and hydrogen in the future. So either one engine or two cars for one price. Yeah, yeah, got as it. we used to do. Um, when you think about the new platform you guys are working on, what kind of improvements can you see from weight, range? How, how big a deal is this for your strategy? Well, there is always room for improvement, right? And I think we're learning a lot from um, other industries. If you go into the aerospace industry, it's all about uh, being light and being very efficient. And I think uh, uh, we've learned the hard way that the battery electric uh, vehicle business is not the same as the ICE business. It's not about getting an ICE car and putting a battery. 
because then you are not optimizing uh, the design possibilities of battery electric vehicles. You need to start from scratch. We see it in our cars, the cars that we have, like Ionix, which are uh, built, they've been born as battery EV, they're doing very well, they have very good uh, conditions, and they are very profitable, while the others, it's a little bit more difficult to make them work, right? So I think everybody's learning that, and this is one of the competitive advantages of companies like Tesla, that they started from scratch. And when you think about MetaPlan, are you still going to try and do one platform, or can we do several out of? Well, there is no, no doubt that the, um, the more you try to synergize, the better in terms of covering your um, entry ticket, your investment costs, right? But also, uh, no matter how much you want to combine and consolidate, you need to have different platforms because you have vehicles which uh, require different capabilities. So if you want to have a very high-performing vehicle, you cannot put that uh, vehicle in the same platform as a kind of a entry more competitive. So even if we uh, start from scratch and we have battery electric exclusive vehicles, there will be uh, several platforms. Now, the difference is that in the past, the platforms were not so modular. And in the future, the platforms are gonna be more modular. So you have like a Lego of a platform that with pieces that you utilize in existing model, you can create a new platform as opposed to being everything new. And when it comes to the battery technology, you guys have had long-term partners uh, in Asia. It seems like everyone's building a battery plant in America right now. Yep. Where are all the materials going to come from? Well, there are many places where the materials can come from, and it's not only where they come from, but how um, you get them to be efficient for you. In our case, we are investing in two plants in America, one in Savannah with LG Energy Solutions, uh, for more than 30 gigawatts uh, hour, and the other one in Bartow, a little bit bigger, uh, 35 uh, kilowatts hour, uh, which has been a little bit more expensive, so uh, 4.5 billion one and, and 5 billion the other one. The raw materials are coming all from right now from friendly places, and then I think it's happening the same as happened with the uh, fusel, uh, fuel uh, fossils that in the past, you could only extract from some conditions, but over time, the technology allowed to get way more uh, than you ever thought, because now you can drill uh, deeper, you, can, you have technology to identify where you have some, some sources. The same is happening with the raw materials and the rare earth uh, materials, etc. Et so at the moment, I think it's more a matter of being diligent finding your partners, finding your friendly countries, where to get those raw materials. Uh, and also, it's very, very important how you pack them. In our case, we do this with Mobis. So we get the cells from LG or from SK, but Mobis, which is our company, is the one putting them together before they get into the car. This is very important. And another element, which is even more important, is how do you manage that? So the battery management system. So I think we're going to see more recycling of batteries. Definitely, we're going to see uh, more effective ways to get access to the raw materials and processing the raw materials. And in the end, hopefully, uh, there won't be issues as we've seen uh, at the beginning. Hyundai COO Jose Munoz spoke with our publisher, Casey Crane, at Automotive News Congress in Detroit last week. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. 
And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Michael Martinez, Molly Boygon, and Hans Grimo. It also includes reporting from Kurt Nagel at our sibling publication, Crane's Detroit Business, and David Kennedy of our sibling publication, Automotive News Canada. You can get the latest news on the UAW strike, new hires, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the UAW strike with investor and former Obama administration auto czar, Stephen Ratner. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 